Fourscore and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth onto this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. We are now engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and dedicated can long endure. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. We here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth and freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. Abraham Lincoln, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, 1863. Just a bunch of words. A bunch of words put together by an odd, tall, spindly man about 120 years ago. Just a bunch of words, unless they were much more. Unless they were much, much more. There are a few things that God takes more serious than words. This is true. It's not an over-exaggeration. There are a few things that God takes more serious than words. The word word or words or speak or speech are mentioned over 1,700 times in the Bible. Jesus speaks about God creating the universe and saying, saying that God spoke the universe into existence. Jesus says that man cannot live by bread alone, but on the very words that come from God. Peter asked, uh, Jesus asked Peter if he wants to leave him, and Peter says, where are we supposed to go? You have given us the words of eternal life. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says that out of the mouth speaks the condition of the heart. Is there a more profound statement that out of the condition of the heart are the words that we speak? So we're concluding this sermon series, as you've learned, after eight weeks in the book of Proverbs, and we're learning how to foolproof our speech, our words. The text we'll use for, for today comes from the book of Proverbs, the 18th uh, chapter, and we'll start in verse 6. The lips of fools bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled with the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death. May it honor God that we would benefit from the reading of his word this morning. Let's come together in prayer. Father in heaven, I humbly ask by your grace to purge my lips from all wicked and unprofitable words, that my mouth may never open but to your praise and honor, to be the benefit of others. Help us learn today how important words are, and now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name, and together we all say, amen. There's lots to cover here today. The, the Bible speaks a lot about words, so we'll move fast. There'll be lots to fill in if you're filling in at home, lots of scripture verses. What I want to do this morning is talk about how to foolproof your words in four areas. Your words about God, your words about others, your words about yourself, and your words to yourself. So let's dig right in. First of all, I want to talk about foolproofing my words about God. And when we speak about God, when we speak to God, when we speak of God, we always speak biblically. Isn't it interesting how much our society gets into trouble when they put apart and aside the words of God for their own ideas about sexuality, about gender, uh, about money, about relationship, about good and evil? 
When we speak about God, when we speak of God, we don't say, yeah, I know God's word says that, but I think I've got it figured out better over here. Um, the, the Apostle John goes to great lengths explaining why he wrote his account of Jesus' life. And he writes this, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Dr. Luke, in his account, also says why he wrote down what he wrote. I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. That's the guy he's writing to. So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So we've been given God's word. These men have carefully written it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and God's Bible is big, right? There's a lot in there. Well, thank God that the fathers throughout the years have taken the truths of the Bible and really winnowed them down into creeds. We are a creedal church. We're a confessing church. So three creeds have been created over the centuries to really take the truths of the Bible and really compact them down. We have the Apostles' Creed. That's the shortest one. We have the Nicene Creed. That's one that's a little bit longer. And the real long one is called the Athanasian Creed. And we confess those creeds a lot. And I would like to do that right now in this service. So I'd ask you to stand right now, and we will use the words of the Apostles' Creed together as brothers and sisters to confess our faith together with great enthusiasm, loudly, and for those watching at home, stand up right now and confess these words with us. Let's confess these words. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, he descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen. You may be seated. These are words confessing what God's Bible says. When we speak about God, we speak biblically. Secondly, when we speak about God, we're always respectful. There's a real inherent reverence, right, that comes when we're speaking about God, when we're using words about him. God thought it was so important, he made it one of his Ten Commandments, right? We number it number two from Exodus 27. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord our God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. God takes seriously the words that we use about him. It's a part of his holiness. In Ephesians 5, 4, Paul writes, there should be no obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which is out of place, but rather there should be words of thanksgiving. Now, this idea of taking God's name in vain, we won't spend a lot of time on it, but it means to speak his name without honor, kind of emptying it of its reverence, when we use it as an exclamation or a point of exasperation or casual expression, we are not using it in a way that honors him and pleases him. We ought to use his words to pro proclaim truth, to proclaim Jesus as Savior, the good words of the Bible. Jesus is speaking on how to pray, right? They come to him and ask how to pray. And he says this, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that your name would be held holy in high regard and reverently. And finally, when we talk about God, we always do it to his glory. The words we use about God should be used to his glory. Psalm 145, 21, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever 
and ever. Glorify God with your words. Give him credit for all that he has done. James 3.9 says, with the tongue we do what? We praise our Lord and Father. We use the language as a gift that we've been given to glorify him and praise him. Psalm 51.15, open my lips and, and my mouth will declare your praise. So we talked a little bit briefly about foolproofing our words about God. Now let's talk about foolproofing our words about others. And first of all, we always are encouraging and healing. How great would the world be if we all uttered words that were encouraging and healing? 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up. Um, We watch a show at our house called Fixer Upper. Anybody familiar? Chip and Joanna Gaines. It's, it's, a, it's a great show. It's, they take old cruddy houses and they remake them into beautiful things. And if you watch the show, what is Chip's favorite day of the whole process? Demo day, demolition, knocking things down. He makes a big deal out of it. The, the production's great. The music's dramatic. They're knocking down walls and exploding roofs and cool stuff. And he likes it. And who wouldn't like that? Because it's easy. It's fun. There's no effort in knocking things down. There's no planning. It's easy to destroy. It's easy to destroy with our mouth, too. There's no planning. There's no forethought. We just barf up words that knock down and hurt people. Being a person who speaks words of encouragement and healing means there's, there's forethought. There's, there's thought. There's planning. No, I won't speak to knock people down today. I will speak to encourage and build up. When we, uh, let's, uh, let's touch on Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Secondly, as we talk about words and foolproofing our words about others, we ought to be always truthful. This seems pretty obvious in the Christian church, but it needs to be talked about. Proverbs 12, 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. I think there's an epidemic of lying. I think everybody lies a lot, and I don't mean to gloss over everybody, but... (laughs) It's almost like it's a regular thing. It's almost like it's acceptable. It's almost like just lie to get out of it. And I stand back, and we all stand back, those who are Jesus followers, and we think, oh, my goodness, it can't be this way. Funny story about a woman who goes to the doctor, and it's his first day, this young doctor, and she goes into the examining room, and about five minutes later, she bursts out of the door, running down the hall, screaming, she's hysterical. So an older doctor grabs her and sets her down and finds out what the problem is and calms her down, and now this older doctor is kind of angry, and he, he goes into the office of the younger doctor. He's like, are you, are you nuts? She has six children, 11 grandchildren, 16 great-grandchildren. She's 69 years old, and you tell her she's pregnant? And he says, yeah, it cured her hiccups, though, didn't it? (laughs) We we don't lie. God thinks that telling the truth is so important that, again, one of his Ten Commandments, we number it number eight from the book of Exodus, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You don't say untrue things about other people. When we foolproof our words about others, we are always gentle. It's one of the fruits of the spirit. I've been working on that one a lot because that one's, I mean, I understand gentle, but I don't really understand gentle. Like I'm supposed to be a gentle person. But God's word says, be gentle in your words. Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Words of gentleness. We foolproof our language this way. Um, we read in Proverbs 15:4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life 
but a perverse tongue, that means speaking words that overwhelm and depress, crushes the spirit. So we're very careful with our words, our words about others, our words to others. As we foolproof our words about others, we understand that we never gossip. Wow, God, God's word says a lot about gossip. God's word, God must have understood that this was going to be a problem. So he talks a lot about it. Proverbs 16, 20, 28, a gossip separates close friend, friends. It, it breaks down relationships. I hear gossip often. Do you? Now, there's a fine line between telling the truth in order to do some good and taking a twisted, prideful satisfaction from nosing into other people's business. There's a strange, perverse satisfaction sometimes that comes with the downfall of others and spreading that news around. And I think we all know what I'm talking about. Funny story about three ministers, and they're all kind of together by themselves, and the first one says, brothers, I need you to pray for me. I have a problem with the bottle. I I drink too much. I I wish I didn't, but I want to confess to you that I have this problem, and I hope you'll pray for me. And they both agree. And the second one says, I've got a problem too with my mind. My mind goes where it ought not. I have um, thoughts that are impure, and I've never acted on them, but I hate that I have them, and I need for you guys to pray for me too, and they both agree. The third minister doesn't say anything, so the first two say, don't you have anything to confess? And he says, yes, I'm a terrible gossip, and I can't wait to get out of here. (laughs) Gossip is trouble. When we speak about others, we never gossip. Proverbs 20, 19, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. It helps me to have a firm definition of things like gossip, so I did a little bit of work, and, and here's where we go. Derogatory information about someone that you have is shared with others in a tone of confidentiality that's not being motivated by doing good to them, and that you are enjoying in a way, and this last part cuts me to the heart, shows that your heart is not humble. There's a great arrogance in gossip, as if you don't have any problems, (laughs) as if your life isn't a mess. Hey, guess what happened to? There's a real lack of humility when we gossip. Proverbs 11.9, with the mouths the godless destroy their neighbors. As we foolproof our language about others, we are reminded that it's always timely. And this word apt, I didn't really know what the word apt meant. It's in the Bible, so I looked it up. It means timely or, or thoughtful are used in a correct way. Our, wise are time, our words are timely or apt. Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers. We think about them. We mull them over. We chew them over to see if they're timely and apt. But the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Do we have the godly skills to know when to speak and when to remain silent? It's pretty important. Many of you have that, and I'm so appreciative. Let's all learn that. Proverbs 15, 23, a person finds joy in giving an apt, which is an appropriate or suitable in the circumstances type of reply. How good is a timely answer? One that makes sense in this moment, but maybe may not have made sense in that moment. I uh, remember years ago, I was at a big Christian um, gathering, let's just say, I want to keep it pretty anonymous, and a Christian leader that I know pretty well and is pretty well respected, after the gathering, I, I noticed kind of from afar that somebody who had attended was really giving them an earful, and the Christian leader was listening carefully, and I was pretty far away, and you could hear the curse words, and this person was crying, and was very upset, and really digging in, and I thought, golly, and so I watched from afar just to see who, how that leader, who I really respected, responded, and after that person kind of got it all out and settled down a little bit, I could see that this person that I admired just took a second to gather what they had heard and decided how they would respond. And gently, I didn't hear, but gently said something. 
and maybe some words of encouragement and yeah, I heard what you said and then kind of usher, ushered this person off into a private place where they maybe could speak in private and really figure this thing out. And it was so important for me to see that because they didn't hit back, they didn't um, use their words in a way to hurt, but kind of got humiliated in front of a lot of people and yelled at and all that. And just in humility, understood and decided um, to, to relax and, and use words that would heal and build up and let, let's go figure this this whole thing out. In the book of Ecclesiastes, that's the book right after Proverbs, also written by Solomon. That's a book, remember, maybe the most famous part, you've heard it at weddings, a time for reaping and a time for sowing, a time for peace and a time for warts. The birds wrote that song in whatever decade that was about, uh, there's a time. Well, a really interesting part, there's a time to keep silent and a time to speak. Biblical wisdom from um, this writer of the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Solomon. Well, now we talk about foolproofing my words about myself. And when we speak about ourselves, we're always humble. We always speak about ourselves with an air of humility. Proverbs 27, 2, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. I think it's really interesting that when we see someone bragging about themselves, we're quick to see it, but maybe we don't see it so much in ourselves. I'm sure I've done it, even though I think I'm not a very braggy kind of guy, but I'm sure I've bragged about myself, and maybe you have too. Humility is a key factor and characteristic in our Christian walk. I wrestle with humility. Maybe you do too. So I'd like for us to pray right now. Um, We'll pray aloud words that I've prepared, a prayer for humility, that God would bring us into a humble place. For those of you worshiping at home, pray these words out loud with us as well. Let's pray this together out loud. Lord, we pray for the heart position of humility, humility in such a way that we do not cheapen our own worth or value within, but that we understand that we are here for a greater purpose than just our own gain. Show us what it means. Oh, I need to advance it. Show us what it means to live a humble life and that our own worth will be revealed by your light. Lord, we welcome you to mold and secure our hearts. Humility by your lead. In Jesus' name, amen. We get more help from the New Testament on this from Luke 14, 11. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. When we foolproof our words about ourselves, we have to be reminded to always be honest. We talked about trustworthy before, right? It's pretty much the same thing. We don't lie about ourselves. We speak honestly about ourselves. Colossians 3, 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. In other words, the old sinful person was a liar, but you've been given a new life, a new heart in Christ, and now we are people who speak the truth. I wonder how many of us when at the DMV and we're getting our driver's license renewed and the lady says, how much do you weigh? <laughs> I lie all the time about that. <laughs> Like she can't tell. (laughs) We tell the truth all the time when we speak about ourselves. Foolproofing my words um, to myself. Now, this might be an interesting one, like you get the first three about God, about others, uh, and about myself, but to myself. The Bible is full of times when the the person of God speaks to himself, especially David. Boy, he he comforts himself with words. He speaks to his own soul. So we'll talk just a little bit about our words to ourselves. Psalm 27, uh, let's talk about the fact that they're always affirming. Uh, and we get this from Psalm 27, 1. And speak these words to yourself that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So words to myself. Words to myself should be affirming. They also should be comforting. Speak words of comfort to yourself. Psalm 119.76, let your unfailing love comfort me, just as you promised me, your servant. God, comfort me. My soul, take your comfort in God. I know life is hard for it in God. And our words to ourselves, believe it or not, are always necessary. If you're in this last part going, I don't really want to talk to myself. They're necessary. Boy, we're in a world that is full of trouble, full of darkness. The temptations are overwhelming. Paul lists some of them in the book of Galatians. This is just a short list of some of the things pulling at us. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is just a short list of the stuff that's after you. It's after me. I sense it all the time. Self-talk is necessary. Remind yourself that you are God's, that he is more powerful than any of this junk, but you need to abide in him and invite him into your life. A guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones was a physician in England about 120 years ago. He became a full-time minister, and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. If you have, uh, you have to take yourself in hand, and you have to address yourself, to preach to yourself, to question yourself, you must say to your soul, why art thou downcast? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, unbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is to you, and what he's done, and what God has pledged himself to do. So we move quickly through a lot of words about words because the Bible has so much. So our conclusion is this. The only thing that can heal your words is a new heart. If you're hearing this message today and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I lie a lot. I don't use, it or use words that are appropriate about God and so on. It's not going to get better until your heart is healed. Because as we talked about earlier, Jesus says the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so you can try to change your speech, but if the heart is still corrupt, up from that comes corruption. Remember in the um, second chapter, chapter of Acts, the, the church is new, and the Holy Spirit comes on the apostles. It's the, really the first day of the Christian church. And remember, it's a sound like a rushing wind, and tongues like flames appear above their heads. And the first thing that God heals is their languages, are their mouths, that they're speaking words of foreign languages so they can take the good news of Jesus out to the world. The very first thing that God establishes in his church is their speech, are their words. So he changes hearts and he does it in miraculous ways. This is one of the most profound scriptures. The word of God, the very word of God became flesh. God's word became a man. Mysterious. And that man made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. This God, man, Jesus is the very word of God. And he won us back from darkness and depravity by enduring the ultimate silent treatment on the cross. On this day that we're talking about words, remember that it was Jesus who endured the ultimate silent treatment on the cross. There he was. He was my sin. He was your sin. All the darkness and wretchedness of humanity and creation that ever had existed, did exist, and will, existed, will exist, 
fell upon him. And that's when he needed his father the most. But God the Father gave him the ultimate silent treatment as punishment on him instead of me, instead of you, for the forgiveness of our sins. And for those of us who believe that and receive that by faith and the grace that comes, we are given a new heart and we are changed. I'm not the same man I used to be. You're not the same person you used to be. And our words reflect that. Some next steps for us to consider to tackle this week, perhaps connect with God by memorizing that proverb that, um, that Christina shared earlier that we've been talking about. Proverbs 18.21 that reads, the tongue has the power of life and death. Uh, number two, be a reverent speaker of God's truth. When we speak of God and who he is, be reverent, be holy, be relatable for sure, but have that uh, knowledge that he is holy and he deserves to be treated as such. And finally, use your words to encourage and to build up and to heal others. Let's pray. Lord, I know my tongue has been used in foolish ways and I'm quick to speak and I repent of the many thoughtless things I've spoken and we as a congregation are sorry for the words that we have spoken in anger or in gossip. Please help us to see when we're about to speak without thinking and to check our hearts. As your servant James writes, Lord, let us be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. Help us be people full of loving words and full of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, and together we all say, amen.